Let's talk gospel music gold. I'm your host and Sonia Gibbs here to talk with gospel music singers, songwriters, historians, recording artists, choir masters, and directors. In this podcast, my guests will share their journey, their struggle, their strength, and most of all, their inspiration. Some of the guests on the podcast will be well-known throughout the gospel field, and others, you will have heard their instruments, their voices, and their emotions. Welcome to Let's Talk Gospel Music Gold. With me today is Pastor Mac Mason of Greater Prayer Garden Church of God in Christ on the south side of Chicago. For years, his voice was heard on the radio as the first to program gospel music over WGCI FM 107.5. He was heard across the United States and Canada on the nightly midnight gospel broadcast with the late Pastor Maceo Woods. Pastor Mason has heard, was heard around the world on the BBC radio. Pastor Mason was heard around the world on the BBC radio documentary, Shout, Sister Shout. He has just released his book, The Official Guide to Chicago Gospel Music. Welcome to Let's Talk Gospel Music Gold. Hey, Pastor, how are you? I'm doing good on a beautiful Saturday, and thank you so much for this kind invitation. Oh, wonderful. I am, I am so excited that you accept it because it is right after your release of this book. Yes, yes. And you talk about a wealth of information that is in this book. So I want to talk about that, and then we'll pivot to your other introduction into gospel music. All so right. I'd first like to talk about the, the book. How did you come about writing this book? Uh, well, it's, as the book explains, gospel music has been a great part of my life, uh, more than half of my life, uh, more than two thirds of my life. <laughs> <laughs> I was quite young when I uh, started on gospel radio in Chicago. I was 16 years old and uh, Pastor Maceo Woods used to always tease that I was five years old <laughs> mm. <laughs> when I started. And uh, I've often, um, been a part of telling the Chicago gospel story. A few years ago, myself, along with Bob Maravich, Professor Reggie Miles, and Stanley Davis, the four of us, were invited to Bobby Jones Gospel down in San, uh, Plantation, Florida, mm. a few years ago. And we were a panel that was assigned to give detail and explanation of how the Chicago School of Gospel Music emerged, giving credit to all the uh, pioneers and historians. And we had a good time in doing that a few years ago. And uh, my second book, uh, which was in 2004, was entitled Saints in the Land of Lincoln, mm -hmm. which uh, kind of combined uh, a dual story, the development of the Pentecostal Church in Chicago and the development of the gospel music recording industry. So here we are with 
the official guide to gospel music, which is uh, nine books later <laughs> and uh, almost uh, 15 years later. Uh, so this is actually my 10th book. And uh, it was good to reflect on my journey in gospel music. And actually I started this book in 2009. Mm. Uh, so it's been a, a journey uh, in finishing this book. Along the way, I've had several uh, illnesses. I suffered a stroke uh, mm. six years ago. And by the grace of God, I've recovered 100% from that stroke. And uh, even on last year, uh, I believe I was one of the early ones that was suffering from COVID even before it was in the news. I was hospitalized twice mm -hmm. early in 2020 and uh, the announcement of COVID came about a couple of months later. But again, by the grace of God, uh, he healed me to the point that even my doctor shouted, it's a miracle. <laughs> and, uh, so we thank God uh, for what he has done in my life. And so during the pandemic, I picked this project up again, uh, dusted it off, tried to kind of update some of the information, uh, bringing it 10 years forward. And uh, so finally, here it is, I would say, thanks to the pandemic. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, it, you know, I always say good things can come out of something that looks like a oh, yes. disaster. Uh, yes. That's why I actually decided to do a podcast is because I've been thinking for years that there are so many gospel greats that have gone on to be with the Lord and those that have gone unnoticed. Yes. We have writers, we have musicians, we have singers who people hear on recordings or have uh, heard their music mm -hmm. and not really known, known who the person was. And I said, yeah. there's a, there are generations that are missing yes. uh, where we it seems like gospel music stopped in the eyes of the world in 1970 yes and then you think about the people from the 80s and the 90s to the 2000s a lot of them are missing mm -hmm. and your book is actually bringing to light a lot of information and that is a good thing because it is so hard pressed to find anything about gospel music. People are forgetting that Chicago was the mecca of gospel music and that is where it all stemmed from. Mm -hmm. So thank you for bringing light to that and letting people know that there's so much rich history that we have as a people and we have as in our religious background and, our, and in our Christian beliefs and people are missing out on that. They're especially our young generation is missing yes, out on that. Yes, yes, yes. I totally agree. <laughs> so I'm going to go back to 2009 to what actually sparked you to think about even doing this, writing this book. Uh, well, actually, the last project that I did um, was in 2009, and I authored with Pastor Maceo Woods his biography for his 50th uh, year uh, pastoring. Mm. And of course, that had a lot of detail of the gospel industry and his involvement as well. Uh, so I you know, thought this would be a good uh, springboard at that time. And as you see in the book, he figures in the book largely in many of the chapters because he was certainly a great uh, inspiration to me 
and uh, opened a lot of doors for me, as you mentioned, uh, Midnight Gospel. Uh, that was perhaps, I consider it the biggest opportunity that I had in gospel music. And uh, I was much younger and I guess I could stay up <laughs> from midnight to five in the morning. I don't know what I would do now. Uh, <laughs> night before last, I was in the bed at nine o'clock. <laughs> So not too many uh, gospel midnights for me these days, but uh, that was a great opportunity. Now, speaking about gospel midnights, I recall the midnight, the, what was it? The, not Labor Day. What's the, Macy, Pastor Macy O. Woods would have a midnight concert. And I, for some reason, the date actually missed my mind here because <laughs> he used to do a uh, midnight musical for one of the holidays that we would have. Well, uh, he didn't actually do it, but it was Dr. Charles G. Hayes who had Memorial Day. And in the early days, he had both Memorial Day and Labor Day, but it was Pastor Maceo Woods that uh, suggested and inspired him to make it a much bigger event. In the early days, it was at uh, Dr. Hayes Church when it was on 63rd and Langley. Mm. And at that time, they were broadcasting on Sunday nights at 11 o'clock. And then the Midnight Musical would follow after the broadcast. But it was Pastor Maceo Woods and uh, Reverend James Cleveland who helped uh, Dr. Hayes and Cosmopolitan to sign with Savoy. And uh, many times, Dr. Hayes and Pastor Woods would join uh, forces in promoting uh, both the Midnight Musical and then in return, Dr. Hayes would, you know, support and help promote uh, Gospel Supreme, which was Pastor Macia Woods' concert in mm -hmm. September. So they were, you know, kind of both involved in, on each one of those. Okay, well, see, I needed that note. I remember going to the Gospel Musicals on yeah. occasion uh -huh. and, uh, Though, I mean, it was enjoyable because you got a chance as an audience member to see so many of the wonderful artists in Chicago. And sometimes they would bring in people from out of state yeah. to come in and sing and perform. And it was wonderful to, it was a wonderful event, especially thinking about when you think about young people, because we were a, a always active in doing something and it kept you occupied and doing something positive and going out to support if you weren't singing because i know we sang a few times but if you weren't singing you'd go out there and support your friends that were out yeah. singing and it was just an enjoyable fun time yes and then after the musical of course we would all go out and eat right, right, right. <laughs> imagine monday morning eating at uh, two and three o'clock a.m <laughs> So those were those were some great times and wonderful times. And in looking at this, the pictures that you have in there, the people that are there and talk about the addresses that the different churches were located, it brings you back in time because I grew up in this in the 70s. And it brings you back in time when you think about the great places and the beautiful buildings and what was coming out of those buildings, the yeah. church homes and stuff. It was just a fantastic time. So that is, to me, was reminiscent on a lot of things. Mm -hmm. but I'm going to back up a little bit more. And I'm going to go to 16-year-old. 
<laughs> At that time, everybody probably called you Mac. <laughs> yeah, they still do. And another name I won't divulge. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what encouraged you at 16 to go out on your venture? Tell a little bit about your venture that you did at, at the age of 16. Well, uh, it all kind of came back to me <laughs> a few years ago uh, when my mom passed. And uh, just before her passing, we talked and laughed about many things. And uh, her terminology was that I was always a maverick. <laughs> uh, but one of my little hobbies, I would say as early as maybe 13 or 14 on Sunday nights, I would record all of the radio broadcasts. I was known to be armed with a little portable cassette recorder and uh, I would tape the various broadcasts on Sunday nights. And uh, then when I got a little older and started going to visit the different churches and musicals, I would always have my little tape recorder and tape uh, the different musicals and broadcasts. But one of the other things that I did, I would mimic the various announcers <laughs> and even pastors, uh, their uh, kind of halfway mark little speech that each church would give. I would run them all down. And uh, uh, I think that was kind of my first uh, inkling in, in trying announcing, at least in my own, no one else heard me, but uh, I would practice and I would, if you, if you would name different people, I would be able to do them and uh, imitate what they did. Uh, but in particular, one day I went downtown and I was exploring downtown on my own and I stumbled on North Michigan Avenue for the very first time and I saw the building that said 333 North Michigan Avenue and my mind went to, you know, where I heard that address before because that was where WXFM was. Milton Brunson mm. was on Saturday afternoons from 12 until five. Uh, Dr. Hayes was on from five to seven. Earl Palmer was on at seven o'clock with Billy Carson. Uh, Kevin Yancey was on at eight o'clock. And just Saturday all day, people's radios were tuned to WXFM. So that day I just went in and I went up, I said, I'm going to go and see. It was on the 34th floor. And I took the elevator up. And on that day, no one was there except the owner. I guess everybody else was out to lunch. Hmm. And uh, so the owner was there and uh, he explained to me, he asked me the question. He said, do you want to be on the radio? And of course I answered, yes, I do want to be on the radio. <laughs> so he explained to me how that worked. Uh, many of the programs on there were brokered programs where you actually were purchasing time mm -hmm. and you would go out and get sponsors. So uh, there I was 16 years old, go out selling radio time in the third largest market in the country, Chicago. And uh, that was a 50,000 watt FM station and uh, that was the place to be back in those days. If you wanted to be sanctioned and gospel, uh, that was the place to be. And I was thrilled to meet uh, Reverend Bronson and Father Hayes and all these people that we listened to for years on the radio. In fact, I remember, I'll back up even before that, I remember my mother would listen to Father Hayes on Saturday afternoon because he was the first one 
on WXFM. He started mm -hmm. on Saturday evening uh, at five o'clock playing gospel music and it grew in popularity. And I remember uh, the day that he began making appeal, if you want more of this, call in. And then he went on to two hours on Saturday afternoon and uh, WXFM was like a magnet. Everybody flocked uh, to the FM dial. Prior to that, everything was on AM, WVON, uh, uh, WGRT, which eventually became uh, JPC. Uh, Reverend Brunson was on that station. Um, uh, Pastor T.O. Barrett was on that station. Uh, Richard Steele was on that station. Daddy O'Daly. These were big names back in the 70s. And uh, that was the main competition to WVON, where you had the Herb Kents and the E. Rodney Jones and uh, Bill Doc Lee. So those were the main two uh, Black stations in Chicago at that time. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm going to ask you to do one, one thing. Okay, imitate Reverend Bronson. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say this, Reverend Bronson was not one of the ones I did oh. uh, because he had such a deep voice. And, you know, I was much younger at that time. I, I, I didn't really try to do him. And, uh, and uh, Dr. Hayes, I did a good Dr. Hayes and uh, I did a Reverend Ike as well. Okay. Uh, Reverend Ike was heard in Chicago uh, during that time after uh, First Deliverance would sign off at midnight, Reverend Ike would come on and uh, those are the main two uh, that I did. And, okay, uh, then do Father Hayes. <laughs> <laughs> His, I know he used to say ablum, and I would just fall out laughing. I loved that when he would say, get the ablum. <laughs> <laughs> well, the only thing I'll do uh, on this presentation uh, that Dr. Hayes said to me after hearing me on the air, he said, you was born to talk. <laughs> <laughs> He was a nice man. He's yes, really he nice. Was. <laughs> and I, you, you would, when you talk about that, I remember listening to the radio and you would, uh, gospel music would come on and you could hear 24 hours mm -hmm. at a point. And I, we've gotten to the point. And unfortunately, we don't hear gospel music 24 hours. There's not one station that's dedicated to gospel music in Chicago, whether it be television or radio. We don't have it. And I'm wondering what happened. Why did we stop doing a 24-hour broadcast? Well, uh, WXFM, again, which was the main outlet for gospel uh, during the 70s and early 80s, it was not a 24-hour station, but on Saturdays and Sundays, continuously, uh, you could turn to WXFM and find gospel music. Uh, the other stations mainly had early morning uh, prior to the rush hour, you know, morning rush. Those were the hours when gospel music got played during the week until uh, Pastor Woods launched uh, Midnight Gospel uh, again, which was from midnight till 5 a.m. every night. And we had a huge listening audience. When it first premiered, uh, it was in 1977, and many thought, well, who's going to be up listening? 
you know, at that hour of the morning, but we had listeners, uh, midnight workers and mm -hmm. uh, drivers, taxi drivers and all uh, types of people listening in. Even my wife was a college student and would be up studying and all of that. And she would call, this was prior to our marriage, but uh, she was one that listened to Midnight Gospel as well. Oh yeah, when you, when you think of a city that has people that work all hours or people that go to school. I recall uh, when I returned back to, when I returned to college to get my uh, second degree, I used to hear one of my friends, his pastor would be on when I would, and, and I would call him and say, what is your pastor doing on the radio? <laughs> <laughs> it was not for the faint of heart. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that was, it. it was just humorous, but I always liked listening to broadcasts and it was fun actually going to a broadcast. It was just so enjoyable to see what would happen, uh, just like when you go to a live recording. Mm -hmm. And it is just exciting, exuberant. I mean, the energy is there. And even though people at that time, there were so many broadcasts, people would just broadcast hop. <laughs> they yeah, would go from yeah. one to the other. And it was, it was fantastic. That was a great time and growing up and i hope that someday it comes back to that where people are enjoyable uh, go out and enjoy going to services and going to broadcasts and to live recordings live recordings are very they're so exciting i think they are yeah. <laughs> so in talking about that you told us that you walked into the building and Tell the audience how long you stayed on the air. Uh, well, at WXFM, I was only on there, I would say about uh, seven months. And then when I heard about WGCI, which was the new station coming on, prior to that, there were two stations. It was an AM, FM uh, dual station called WNUS, Beautiful Music. Mm. And uh, WGCI took over those signals on both on the FM dial and on the AM dial. Uh, so I was the first one to go there. And uh, there were some that discouraged me and told me nobody's going to listen to WGCI. And as you know, eventually WGCI became the biggest station in the city, mm -hmm. although there were uh, no gospel music really being programmed there until maybe the late 90s uh, when they kind of gave that primetime Sunday uh, to gospel music. But there was always and still is today a need for more gospel uh, exposure. And that's what makes those programs like yours uh, so invaluable that gospel is in need uh, of an outlet, you know, mm -hmm. that will continue to spread the gospel. And we have artists that are really spilling their hearts out and it's hard pressed for them to get their message out. Mm -hmm. And to, uh, because of the minimization that has happened in our field, because I, if I'm not mistaken, I think Nashville has now taken over the semblance of being the I'm not going to say the Mecca, but being the spotlight of gospel music, because there are so many different gospel stations there. And it is, it has actually drawn away from 
from what was happening here in Chicago for, for decades? Well, I would say one of the reasons for that is something I've heard uh, older people even in business say to me over the years, follow the money. Mm. Nashville, of course, uh, is big where country music is and many of the major labels. And as they looked for new uh, streams, they looked to gospel music. Many of the white gospel singers were, of course, based in Nashville on some of the country music labels. But Chicago no longer had uh, the major recording studios. One At one while, Chicago was a recording hub. I'll say even back to the 20s mm. in my book where I speak of labels like OK and Victor and some of those uh, labels that were located here in Chicago and were the premier labels promoting gospel music on into, uh, I would say the late 60s and 70s by the time labels like Brunswick and uh, VJ and others had their home in Chicago down on 14th and Michigan mm -hmm. known as Record Row in Chicago because a number of recording studios and record labels were right here in Chicago. So uh, I would say as the money left, mm. Okay. then gospel began to uh, fall out of favor, at least as the media uh, was concerned. But thank God for those that persevered over the years. Uh, and one part in the book I called the big three. That was uh, uh -huh. the Tommies, uh, Cosmopolitan, and Christian Tabernacle. They were the three premier choirs in Chicago. They all had national uh, label contracts so they got uh, the attention that everyone else uh, longed to have. But again, mm -hmm. the opportunities uh, were not like they used to be. Uh, whereas now you have a lot, you've got almost like a choir on every corner that's recording now. So the opportunities eventually did resurface, but not with the magnitude that those three choirs enjoyed uh, in the 70s, especially. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm glad to know that and glad that you're sharing that information with the audience because there are some things that actually I sit back and I look and I say, if I had money to do this, what would I do or where would I focus it? And that helps me to understand why so many labels, I think a lot of it has to do with, and, and I'll just get on this and get off it real quick, Chicago politics <laughs> and the taxation that goes on here. But hopefully we will be able to change that around to allow other artists and musicians and choirs to record and produce their music here in Chicago. I think that would be a fantastic uh, ideal situation for those that are trying to get out there and get their message out. Yes, well, you know, Chicago just has any number of great choirs and singers. I was asked uh, the other day uh, by another colleague, why did I go to such lengths to mention so many people? And it was like, uh, there's, there's just so many people. Of course, it's hard to include everybody, but I did my best to give everybody their just due, even those maybe that were not uh, household names uh, in the industry, but many having made a great contribution uh, here in Chicago. So you'll find a lot of names uh, in the book 
And uh, a lot of times people go, oh yeah, I forgot about them. I <laughs> they recorded this song. And uh, so, so that was my intent to give honor uh, to whom honor is due. Mm-hmm. Okay, wonderful. And, you know, that's another book that, that, that's out there. So, uh, you know, just putting that in there, you probably already started on it. <laughs> okay, I'm going to ask you a question. This is really interesting to me is how did you become with the British Broadcasting Company, which I mentioned in the intro about BBC Radio? How did you become involved in that? Well, of course, uh, during that uh, period, uh, the late sister Rosetta Tharp began to gain attention uh, so many years after her passing. Mm-hmm. And uh, many of the blues artists and rock and roll artists actually were responsible for the attention that she began getting. People like uh, Jimi Hendrix and uh, uh, I can't think of the other gentleman's name, but they began to say how they studied her unique guitar playing, and they even began calling her the mother of rock and roll. Mm-hmm. And so she began to get much more attention among the rock and blues field than she did in the gospel field. So the producers of that uh, documentary, and of course, there was a book that was also written about her by Gail Wall. And I received a call one day as they were putting this story together about her life and her career. And one of the things that they uh, were focusing on and they wanted me to elaborate on was her upbringing in the Church of God in Christ, Hmm. how the teaching and things of the Church of God in Christ kind of set the pattern for what she did prior to her going over into the jazz and blues uh, field. Uh, So myself, along with Bob Maravich, uh, were contributors uh, to that uh, radio documentary. Mm, Wonderful, that is great. And when you think about Rosetta Tharp and her influence, that a lot of people did not even know her name, Mm -hmm. you think about a young artist who recently gave tribute to her in a music video. Mm-hmm. And that person was Lizzo. Yes. And it was very interesting that people were like, wow, what is she, you know, what is with this costume? What is with this? And what is with that? And then it finally came out that she was giving tribute to Rosetta Tharp. Wasn't that interesting? Yes, it was. It was. Especially for her to be the age that she is, mm-hmm. to even know about her and then to want to give tribute to her. That is just uh, amazing to me that someone that young thinks that deep. Yes. But it, yes. it's not amazing to me because I used to work with young people and I know that they do. But to allow her audience to see that she is giving homage to one of her elders. Mm-hmm. And that, I thought that was just fantastic. I don't know. A lot of people don't know that I watch Lizzo. I do. I listen to some of her music. <laughs> Yes, well, you know, it's good to see, uh, because as you mentioned earlier, many young people and many uh, people of a younger generation don't have a firsthand knowledge or even appreciation for those that came before them. Many times uh, they almost feel that music arrived with them. Mm -hmm. As you say, that was a remarkable uh, thing. 
And it kind of lets you know that some young people uh, are curious and they run across maybe their grandparents' collection of music and some are rediscovering vinyl and all of those <laughs> things. I, my oldest uh, nephew, who's now in his 30s, uh, I remember, uh, you can see behind me on the wall, this, this giant vinyl that I've had for years. And when he was just beginning to talk and saw that on the wall, he said, oh, look at that big CD. <laughs> <laughs> so as they were uh, rediscovering vinyl, and they're also rediscovering a number of artists, you know, that uh, helped to make music what it is. Yeah, it is. It's nice. I've uh, heard that they're actually starting to reopen music st music stores that are selling vinyls. Yeah, Some of the recording artists are actually going back to vinyl, yeah. which was fantastic because now if you get a, uh, I hate to mention age, but when you get a certain age and you look at those CDs and they have the information on there and that writing is so tiny. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, that was one of the thrills of vinyl back in the day. Oh, yeah. Re reading the credits and the liner notes. And uh, you learned a lot just from sometime reading uh, those notes and credits and things on the old albums. Some of the albums were what they call gatefold album. They would actually open up. Mm -hmm. uh, some of the ones I remember from a kid was like Institutional Radio Choir, that One More Day album opened. Uh, <laughs> Love Alive 2 was another one that opened and they had uh -huh. all kinds of pictures inside. Uh, so those were, you know, part of uh, collecting vinyl, you know, back in the 60s and 70s, you know. Oh, yeah. And now, yeah. You, can't, now you can't find a CD anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, everything is digital. Now they want to go digital. I'm like, man, I don't have anything. <laughs> So I know that there are uh, sometimes I do research when I'm trying to uh, reach out to a guest. And sometimes I feel like I'm stalking people, but it's hard pressed on finding information. I was uh, talking to Dr. Clancy on our interview, and I believe it was off air that we were talking. I said, it's so hard to find information, written information about gospel artists, about the information about people that have done things and you just, it's just like they just disappeared. Yes, yeah. And it would be so nice to have some documentation, which is in your book, you have a lot of information, but it brings to light about, you know, knowledge about people and understanding and even understanding gospel music. I'm so glad that it's starting to make a resurgence mm -hmm. and people trying to understand the history like I was reading someone's thesis paper and Lord knows I don't read a lot. I tell my husband, I don't read a lot, but I do. <laughs> but I was reading someone's thesis and came across Arizona Drain's name. Mm -hmm. And I said, this is really enlightening me. And then a few months later, I started hearing her name a little bit more and more. Mm -hmm. So we, we talk about people that maybe had missed and when we think about Arizona Drains, she was one of the first gospel artists to record on the label that you mentioned, OK. Mm -hmm. Well, I actually was blessed to know people that saw her in action. Oh, OK. Uh, one of my late uh, cousins who lived to be 101 years old uh, prior to her death was often called on people to give an eyewitness account of uh, Sister Tharp. And uh, she, of course, was a part of Robert's Temple 
Church mm -hmm. of God in Christ down at 40th and State Street. And uh, so there were a number, number of people that I knew who could give firsthand accounts of Sister Rosetta Tharp. And Arizona Drains. And Arizona Drains, yes. Yeah, I'm mm -hmm. sorry. yeah that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> because they were about, they were right in there at the same time because they worked together at some point, I believe. Yeah, well, mm -hmm. uh, Arizona Drains came to Chicago in 1926 to audition for OK. Uh, Rosetta Tharp and her mother, Katie Bell Newman, were actually already here, but they weren't recording as of yet. Okay. Uh, and eventually, of course, they went into the recording field and Rosetta was recruited by uh, Cab Calloway, Duke Ellington, and then a number of the big band leaders, uh, Count Basie, and they all desired to play and record uh, with her. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, I was trying to reach someone at the church uh, to at uh, Robert Simple to see if I could get some more information on Arizona Drains because I wanted to do a tribute show to her. Okay. I did find a little bit of her music. So we'll see what happens. I like giving tributes. All right. Now, well, I'll be happy to share uh, some contacts with you. Okay. Wonderful. Well, I want to thank you for participating in this show, but I want to ask you before we close out, if you could tell my audience what you're doing currently, how they can reach you, and any other information you'd like to share. Well, of course, uh, regarding the book, uh, The Official Guide to Chicago Gospel Music, uh, you can access my website, which is www macmasonbooks.com that's macmasonbooks.com and you'll see uh, this latest book uh, the official guide to chicago gospel music as well as some of my other books that are available uh 45 years uh later since i was 16 <laughs> i'm still on chicago radio on sunday mornings at nine o'clock on am 1570 and I'm currently uh, just entered my ninth year as pastor of Greater Prayer Garden Church of God in Christ, uh, which as in the book, I say where I discovered gospel music. My late grandfather was the pastor and uh, my mother played the organ there for 65 years wow. prior mm -hmm. to her death. So uh, that's, that's mainly what I'm doing is uh, trying to be a good pastor. Okay, wonderful. Well, I wanna thank you Reverend Mac C. Mason for participating in this segment of Let's Talk Gospel Music Gold. These shows are to explore, record, and raise excitement about gospel music and its gold. I hope you, the audience, enjoyed this episode as much as I have. Please send me an email sharing your thoughts about this show segment. Also, if you have any suggestions of future guests you would like to hear on the show, send me an email to let's talk to gmg at gmail.com. That's let's talk the number two gmg at gmail.com. I am your host, Ansonia, saying let's sing, let's shout, and tell of the great news through gospel music gold. Until the next episode, take care and God bless. God bless you. Are you one of the many Americans that are hoping to find a new job? Do you need to establish new skills or improve the skill you already have? 
Perhaps you're an HR professional in a company and in need of online training for your employees. Well, I invite you to check out the online training system from Born to Speak to You. Once registered, these online courses are available to you 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, for 60 days. In the area of human resource trainings, we have courses on Lunch and Learn program, Crisis Management, Diversity and Inclusion, Health and Wellness at Work, Office Health and Safety, Workplace Violence, and much, much more. Our website is borntospeaktoyou.com, where the two is the number two. That's borntospeaktoyou.com, where you can even arrange for a virtual training for your employees on any one of our 110 training modules.